0: what happened i owe
1: you The truth. Let us begin. Hello and welcome to the Bastard Truth. I'm your host Brent, and today I'm joined by Daft Stefan Babbin from last time.
0: Hey. Hey,
1: how you doing, man? I'm great, how are you? I'm doing well. That's good. A nice little, yeah, I had a nice little day of work. I've been pawing all over Halo Reddit, looking at Halo News, Halo Story, looking at lore predictions. People are already talking about Halo six. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty nuts. Everybody's got a little idea, um, but that's kind of all anybody has. Uh, I'm excited to see what the next two or three years are going to hold as far as what they're going to give us uh, to tide us over. Yeah. Um, But more on that next episode. Today we're going to talk about three missions, uh, pretty much smack in the middle or the early middle of Halo 5. We're going to talk about Unconfirmed, Evacuation, and Reunion. Uh, unconfirmed in Evacuation being Team Osiris missions, and Reunion being the second Blue Team mission. A lot of stuff gets tied in, a lot of stuff is introduced in these three missions. Nothing is really truly answered, but we'll save that for next time when we have Ali back on from last episode, uh, as he is a huge Arbiter, Saint Haley, and Swords of Sanghalios fan. Would hate to go on about those missions without him. Due to some scheduling complications, we'll have him on next time. And Daft, I believe you'll be joining us as well.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. So you can expect that either sometime this weekend or next week. We've decided to divvy away from our original scheduling of the series. Originally three episodes, two entirely on campaign. The more I played Halo 5 and Daft, I think you found this to be the same. A lot of players did not beat the campaign and have kind of yet to beat the campaign. Although we learned earlier this week, alongside the sales of Halo 5, that the campaign is actually the most played part of the game thus far, totaling something uh, like 11 million hours worldwide, which is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, isn't that the biggest uh, release so far? Like, since it just keeps climbing, right?
1: Yeah, it seems like Halo is just continuing to grow as a franchise, and... Sales are up. I, I think that the that little detail that players are playing more campaign than multiplayer or kind of threw even guys like us, a little sidewinder, no pun intended, Jeez. that that the that the story aspect of Halo is still very popular and still very loved. And I I think that was in contrast with what we found, like I said earlier, playing the game, that players weren't exactly finishing the campaign that night. They weren't quite as insane as myself uh, and a few others. Uh, I know the guys over at Drunken Halo, uh, they've beaten it pretty much that night. I've heard that Dust Storm did the same. So definitely a a couple of nuts out there that are willing just to sit down until the uh, wee hours of the night and just blaze through it. But that's not everybody, and of course it wouldn't be. So I did not want to go ahead and start talking spoilers Just quite yet, especially detailing the end of the game, which a lot of people seem to have, like I said, not finished. Um, It's quite a loop. I'm sure a lot of people have heard allusions to it. Uh, There will be some of the allusions spoke here today. Again, this is a spoiler cast, so if you don't want anything spoiled for you just quite yet, and you haven't beat these three missions, Unconfirmed, Evacuation, and Reunion, uh, then you may want to stay away. If you're okay with spoilers, and stick around. Uh, We're going to discuss some of the finer details that we've noticed in playthroughs and replaythroughs.
0: Yippee!
1: Yippee! <laughs> All right, so then to start it off, we have Unconfirmed, which is the mission following Meridian Station. We touched on that a little bit last episode. That's kind of the rpg commission mission, uh, with Team Osiris sort of walking around, some of the outer colonists uh, hearing their conversations, overhearing some finer points to the grander lore, little details that a lot of us appreciate, uh, such as what it means to re-terraform a planet that's been glassed, uh, what is the overall value in the eyes of the outer colonists of the UNSC and their outlook on the Spartans, Uh, stuff like that, little things, and I express a great desire to see that translated into a full title, or at least even more so in the next edition of the series. Uh, But right back after that, we get into the action of it, which is unconfirmed, and that is Osiris landing in a Pelican, where they are aware that the Chief and Blue team have touched down on Meridian, and they are after them, as we already know, uh, because they are AWOL. They've gone AWOL, and they encounter quite a bit of setbacks and obstacles along the way that it would appear that blue team and the chief did not go through. And we start to become a little suspicious of governor Sloan, who we learned in the last episode in the mission prior was in AI that was running this entire colony on Meridian. Uh, Very interesting stuff. And so it would appear that Sloan has allowed chief and blue team down into the mountainside of Meridian, uh, I believe it's Apathy Station. I believe that's the name of the area. And Osiris is encountering all these obstacles uh, with Prometheans and uppity outer colonists. Uh, and Governor Sloan himself, uh, just seemingly reluctant to open certain doors down into the mountain, uh, seemingly hiding something. So, Daft, I don't know how much you recall from this mission, but is there anything else that stands out, stands out to you?
0: Um, well, I remember, um, I remember Osiris talking about how Governor Sloan's basically uh, way past rampancy, but then he um, gets very defensive, and so they kind of stop talking about it, probably out out of fear. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely hiding something. I think it's almost like it's probably a dictator at the end of the day, like a beyond rampant AI.
1: Yeah, like an actual benevolent dictator. <laughs> kind of, it's, yeah. It's, honestly, because it seems as though all of these outer colonists are just smitten for him. I mean, everybody kind of questions like his ver- his veracity, you know, his state of being, but nobody does it openly enough that he can find out about it. And they all seem to kind of respect his judgment for the most part, even though he's an AI, which I think is incredibly interesting.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I guess he just provides for them well enough. They want to figure out why question.
1: Right, I mean they're alive and well on a glass planet, and I guess that's well enough, right?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> so they blue team gets by pretty much unscathed. Osiris encounters, you know, a handful of knights, uh, various snipers, and the snipers are no joke. That the segment with the Promethean snipers, I guess they're soldiers, but they're a little more garnered towards uh, marksmanship with um, binary rifles the new variant of the binary rifle that we encounter in halo 5 they straight up take out an outer colonist right there in front of you and it's kind of a it's kind of for me it was a i appreciated it i appreciated how sudden and kind of like dark and violent it was that this outer colonist just gets zapped you know it's not something like that that's so startling we've definitely had the slow, creeping horror of the Flood in previous Halo titles, but I don't think we've ever had a moment that was, well, maybe cat from Halo Reach or Untimely Demise, but just Joe Belows right there trying to fend off these Prometheans, and it kind of shows you the, just the power and the ruthlessness of the Promethean, well, I guess all classes, it just totally takes the head off this this poor, I believe it's a girl even, and just right there in front of you, and it kind of it really elevates the situation. I think before that, you're sort of just, you know, spartaning about, <laughs> kind of just trumping around the mission, and all of a sudden, just bam, and like that. This colonist is gone, and if you don't act in that moment, I've played it, I believe, three times over now, those colonists will die, and they'll die pretty quick, and it's, you know, it's a little different when the Marines get shot down and you do the best you could, but if you're not taking out those snipers as quickly as you can all those colonists are pretty much gone in like the better part of 10 seconds
0: yeah i mean they're they're like even even softer versions of like marines
1: right i mean yeah they're definitely not as equipped as marines would be and the prometheans are so much more elevated than any of the covenant Uh, so definitely i mean did that moment stick out to you Uh, Just how quickly that happened.
0: I I think. I mean, I think the the, those Meridian missions in general definitely showcased um, how much the colonists were and the workers were being overrun by the Prometheans. I mean, there's kind of like no fighting chance, really.
1: Yeah, I I mean, they're all seemingly desperate and just kind of lost, like they did not expect this at all. I think, and almost more so, they expect the UNSC to come down one day and start shooting up the place more than they considered any kind of forerunner presence.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, I mean, they definitely weren't expecting it.
1: Someone who does appear to be expecting it was Governor Sloane. And we kind of get that slowly trickled to us throughout the mission, uh, as he seems, as I mentioned earlier, reluctant to allow Team Osiris down into the mountain, uh, where they believe they are chasing Chief and Blue Team. Uh, He's just reluctant to open doors. He's closing them immediately right behind Osiris. Uh, and just all overall, just a little agitated that they're even there, but he's compliant all the more so, kind of pushing his luck uh, as much as an AI can uh, to avoid any discovery by Osiris by kind of allowing them as close as he can to it um, as they scale down the mountain and they encounter more and more Promethean forces. Uh, they eventually lose contact with Governor Sloan and he is almost heated by... their. His, he has no eyes on them at this point and they're heading down into the part of the mountain that has the most forerunner installation and Osiris has no clue what they're about to stumble upon. They know of the Guardian threat that is prevailing throughout the galaxy but they aren't entirely certain at this moment that the Chief and Blue Team have anything really to do with the Guardian? They're only aware that they're chasing Cortana, and as a result, Chief and Blue Team. Uh, so I guess we kind of come to the terms with we come to terms with the fact that Governor Sloan is aware of Cortana, and he's aware of the Guardian threat, and he has allowed Chief and Blue Team all the way through the Muck, and probably even working in tandem with. The Prometheans, now, I think that opens up a lot of questions as to, for as much as he cares for his people, I think we'll touch more on this next episode, but as much as he cares for his colonists, he is allowing this enemy, the foreigner enemy, down onto Meridian, and they're attacking colonists willy-nilly, Is he doing his best to save them at the same time? Is he also allowing the Promethean offense through his defense and down into the mountain where we find the Guardian housed? Uh, He's definitely in control of things on the Promethean side because Chief and Blue Team are able to kind of slide on in, and Osiris encounters all of the threats, almost as though Sloane wishes that they would die by the hands of Prometheans. That isn't necessarily apparent. That could be me projecting... Uh, but you you do get the sense that he's becoming more and more agitated and irritated by the fact that they are entering his mountain. Uh, a lot of the intel that you discover along the way hints at the colonists knowing of something within the mountain, not entirely certain that it's a guardian, but aware that Sloan may be hiding something uh, due to their respect for Governor Sloan. They aren't willing to come out and kind of cause a panic about it or even stir too much of the pot. Uh, but the colonists are definitely aware, and Sloan is doing his best to hide it. Is there anything else that you can kind of bring to the discussion, here, Daph? on um, this whole?
0: Not really. I mean, honestly, I, th- I think you kind of you you kind of talked about more than I honestly even comprehended about the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess Sloan kind of is like of two minds, and it's like he's got this dark secret about the Promethean stuff, and maybe if like a Osh- blue team and Osiris get taken out by them, you know kind of like loose change out of his pocket, you know, no
1: harm, no foul. Right, but I think he's allowing Chief and Blue Team down to the mountain for a purpose, right? And I don't really want to touch on that purpose quite yet because, like I said, I know there's a lot of people that haven't beaten the game. I was playing with a handful of them just last night, and I don't want to touch on that here, although it's a spoiler cast. Uh, We do know in the first mission that the UNSC believes Cortana to be in hands of the foreigner domain. We don't know to what capacity and we don't know to what state Cortana exists, but we do learn by the end of evacuation, which is the next mission, that Sloane is in contact with Cortana by some means and that she presents him with the ability or maybe even just the time to protect his people regardless of the Guardian threat and regardless of the Prometheans coming in. So then we kind of get a taste that Cortana is perhaps in control of the Prometheans and Sloan by extension. Were those connections that you made on your first playthrough, Daft, or is that something that uh, you just to be honest, no. I
0: mean all, all of what you're talking about. I, I kinda of went over my head the first playthrough. I, I just thought Sloan was like a rampant uh, AI, but I um <laughs>
1: Just kind I, of losing it.
0: I, I, I saw the Promethean connection with him way later in the campaign. Obviously, I don't want to spoil, but I mean, yeah, I see what you're getting at right now.
1: So I think we can we can kind of jump aside. Maybe we're reading a little too deep in here. I don't want to linger too long on Sloan, although I think he is a very interesting character and much appreciated uh, having an AI that's loved by so many people and seen as kind of a savior and as a as a father almost to all of these outer colonists. It's a very interesting dynamic and it it sheds a light on the relationship between humanity and artificial intelligence. But pushing forward, as we get down to the mountain as Team Osiris, we come across the Warden Eternal. And this is the first time we're introduced to him uh, outside of that E3 demo uh, that we got earlier in the year back in July I believe it was. And we see him in it reminds me a lot of Alien, and I know you can make a lot of connections between the Alien franchise and the Halo franchise. Uh, obviously, Halo, in its original form, the first game from 2001, pulled a lot of inspiration from the Alien franchise. But having the word Eternal almost like nested all these different copies of his body, and he already does kind of take on some resemblance to the Alien Queen um, for those of you familiar with the Alien franchise. Uh, outside of this, Guardian, which is massive in scale, I mean, Daft, would you agree? I mean, the Guardian is truly big.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the biggest entity I think we've ever, ever seen in a Halo game. I'm like, really?
1: Right. I mean, as a, as one entity, as one enemy, I mean, it's not, it's not a ship, but, I mean, it, it definitely gives the Infinity a run for its money.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: What you, were your thoughts? Allie and I went back and forth back and forth on this earlier in the week, but what were your thoughts on the, like, the Guardian has a face. That's not something I saw coming, nor is it something I had seen in any of the promotional material.
0: Well, I mean, promotional material, didn't we originally see it back um, in that, like, teaser trailer uh, at E3 when, like, Chief had the cloak on, like, he's, like, walking in the desert? Didn't we see the Guardian first then?
1: Yeah, I believe that was back in 2012.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, isn't the face kind of just, like, it's, like, similar to, like, the Promethean Knight face, that's kind of, like, skeleton-looking thing?
1: It reminds me a lot of, um, not to, uh, bridge universes here, but it reminds me a lot of, uh, Gears of War, like, sort of, um, like, locust, like, facial structure, almost just, like, overly, like, jarringly, just kind of evil, like, kind of grinningly... Yeah, a
0: little menacing... Yeah. yeah just
1: very menacing, and I think I heard a lot of outcry i read i mean I read a lot of outcry on uh, Halo Reddit story about how they had wished certain players had wished that they had kept the the owl looking more forerunner in appearance guardian that was displayed back in two thousand twelve from the teaser that you mentioned uh and I kind of expected that was going to be. We def, I, I think we see the iteration of the Guardian with eyes at least in the E three demo earlier this year in twenty fifteen. Uh but not that not that grin. And it's not I don't want to go as far as say like it's disturbing or anything, but it definitely sticks with you. It's it's it is interesting and it adds it does do an awful lot to add to the menace of this truly monolithic entity. Like you said, it's something of a scale that we haven't really seen in any of the previous Halo games or anything really out of the books so far as a single entity. I mean, there's plenty of technology and you know, spacefaring vessels and stuff like that, that we get in the books and the lore of immense size, especially when we start dealing with precursors and forerunners, uh, stuff we talked about earlier in the bastard truth. But as a single entity, yeah, as something that can single-handedly do so much damage whether it's a weapon or has some other purpose that's still mystery to us, I liked the addition of a menacing kind of face to it. Uh, And the face is big, too. I mean, make no mistake, the the Guardians are big, the face is big, the moment is big. Uh, So I think we should kind of push forward to, I think, everybody's highlight so far for Halo 5, which is, the chief and Locke fight, right? What was I mean? How stoked were you when the scene finally first came on?
0: Um, I thought I thought it was really, I mean, it was definitely it was definitely very interesting, and it was definitely I think a kind of a pivotal moment in the story, because it goes it goes past like just tension about Chief being AWOL, to you know, kind of all out conflict and Chief being defiant about um returning with Locke, and I think. I kind of liked the way they presented it, um, because it wasn't like bombast, it wasn't overblown with like too much music or too much, um, just the way it it was, it was very, I think kind of simple, it was just like a fist fight between like two men, and um, it it, it, it wasn't, I don't even think there was music, but it kind of worked because it was was very tense and just just like a simple, just a fight between just two guys.
1: Right, yeah, no, that's a good point you bring up. I mean, these I mean, these are superhumans, but they're not superheroes, you know what I mean? And they're not, like, flying around, jumping wall-to-wall like Batman, Superman, or anything like that. I mean, they're not breaking the ground as they land on it and stuff like that. I mean, it definitely is, these are two human beings, and they go at it and almost, you know, I don't want to say, like, childlike, but, you know, all fights are almost a little childish, right? Especially fist fights, and... Yeah, we've never seen the chief like this before. Not even, Never. I don't think we've ever even seen him, you know, truly angry. And his line, I love it and I hope I don't butcher it here, but when Locke confronts him and t- tells him, this is your last chance to come home peacefully, and he says, I have a job to do, Locke confronts him and I think he says the wrong thing. And he says, Cortana she's our mission now or he's you know he's illustrating the point that that Cortana although the chief has had such a campaign with her and they are so much closer than any AI and human can be to say like hey you you new kids you Spartan four kids and don't get me wrong i love the Spartan fours i think i think they're awesome i think they do a lot to bring the player closer to the Spartan program outside of the lore But the Chief is definitely, and Blue Team as well, they're definitely the the old hands at this. And they've known Cortana so much longer. Cortana should definitely be their mission. And I understand, and Ali and I talked about this again earlier this week. I wish we could have him on, but again, I apologize about why the Infinity and the UNSC and ONI, for the greater matter, would put a different... Team on the mission of bringing Cortana back into the fold. And it is because of that very personal relationship that the Chief has with Cortana, and that Blue team has through extension of the Chief with Cortana. And Chief, I mean, we've never seen him so suddenly upset. He's very composed all of, all of the time. And growing up with this character, I mean, you're not much... You and I are about the same age here, Daft, and growing up with this character, we've always seen him just be composed through the worst situations. And when he pushes that Cortana button, the chief has the chief says nothing else but like, "Hell, she is," and you could tell he's a little fired up. And from there, they just go at it.
0: Yeah, I would say probably, probably the two, I guess, buttons to push with Chief would be, if I had to guess, would be Cortana and then probably Blue Team.
1: Right, if Locke had actually physically threatened Blue Team, I think that would have done a little more. And I think he already sort of did just by aiming a gun at them. And I like that, you know, Blue Team—they're—they're they're illustrated throughout this game as the quieter, like I said, you know, much more weathered hands at this. Um, Locke knows this. Buck knows this. Uh, blue team, they're a family, and they've logged more missions than any other fire team in the entire UNSC. And I think that goes to show a lot. I mean, these four Spartans, the you know, for all intents and purposes, at least in the eyes of the player, are the last Spartan twos in active duty, at least out on the field. And, I mean, they're a family. They are really a family. And Locke pushes that button just enough by even aiming his weapon at them. And the Chief just, you know, slightly nods in the direction of the portal, which we find out in the next mission leads to a foreigner world named Genesis. I'm not entirely certain that Blue Team or Chief know where this portal goes at this point, uh, but the Chief trusts Blue Team, and the Blue Team trusts Chief enough that he just you know, nods in that direction, and they take off. They don't worry too much about Locke, and the Chief very much says with just a simple nod that I'll handle this. Uh, whether peacefully or through the fight that we get. Uh, I agree about the about the music. I don't think that there really is. Uh, there is. It's a very small, small little melody, uh, melody, but it definitely adds to the tension that it's a quieter scene and that it's not these roaring drums and these huge trumpets and all this and that, because I don't think we're, although everybody, I think, roots for the chief in this moment, and the chief does come out the victor, I don't think that we, as the player, or as the audience, are really supposed to be rooting for one side or the other. I think they're both in the right in this moment. If you're looking at what blue team is doing by going awol, you could make the case that well, you know, they're acting out of out of their means, and of course the UNSC would go after them, and of course they would want to handle the Cortana situation differently. But they're both in the right, both these teams are both in the right for their own reasons, and Osiris is you know new at this, but they too be- are becoming a family, and they've logged many missions as far as we can tell, and we talked about that in the in the episode prior, but yeah, I just don't think I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't think that we're supposed to be rooting for one side or the other. I mean, naturally, we want to root for the chief. I'm sure you did, right, Deft?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, to be honest, I don't really like Locke at all. I mean, I was for chief on the way. He had, like, a higher reason for what he was doing, which was following what Cortana was saying, which is kind of just um, kind of amazing at that point in the story. It's it's like it's like the highest purpose, in a way, like, for him to follow because um, it's so mysterious, as opposed to just following like some UNSC you know protocol to bring back an a guy.
1: Right. I mean, you have to look, think that Locke has always had you know, and I like Locke. Um, I mean, I I think like a lot of people, we were all a little worried that man, are they really trying to replace the Chief with this character? Now we know better. We know that's not the case. That Chief and Locke are going to become this duo, much like the Arbiter and. The Arbiter's still in the mix, so it's kind of a trio, and now Halsey's in the fold, so it's, they had a whole fire team going. A lot of Halsey's going to fight, but, you know, sure. (laughs) No, of course not, but she's definitely like the intel provider, right? I mean, she's the the greater voice, at least to the Master Chief, and I think the Arbiter is willing to listen to Halsey more than he would someone like Palmer or even Captain Lasky, I think. You know, he's a leader, and... His his allegiance will fall with the chief. You know, I don't know. We could go on and on. I think we'll save that for another day. But the dynamic between the chief and the arbiter, uh, or even more so, the the dynamic that we learn between the arbiter and Locke is probably even a little more apprehensive. But I think... we know that we're going to be seeing a lot more of Locke and hopefully even more of the Chief next time around. Uh, it's hard talking about something that's three years away, but I'm sure we'll we'll get some sort of media in the next few years here that illustrates the relationship between the two.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm sure they'll release like novels, if nothing else, right?
1: Yeah, and we have a few. We have at least one more coming out later this year, and we have, I'm sure, we've got it two next year. Halo Wars 2, we have no clue what that old detail but I mean there's stuff, there's stuff down the pipeline. This isn't it for forever. I think a lot of people are making it out to be that way that it's like, "Oh, this is what we get for 3 years." It's like, "Well, hey, yeah, this is a pretty good bundle for 3 years, but B, of course not. It's never been that way. It hasn't been that way like since Halo 2 to Halo 3. I think even after Halo 3, we we got we've pretty much had a steady stream of lore and novels and media and Anything really Halo related? Huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many books do they put out a year? Like, a good two or three a year.
1: Yeah, about that. I think this year, because it was leading into the release of Halo Five, I, I, I want to say we got four, uh, four novels. Sure. Yeah, I mean. So I'm, next year, I would expect at least two.
0: Yeah, I, I remember they were. Remember, like it wasn't Krypton the first one released like at the beginning of the 343 era and that some of those novels were around when there was there wasn't a whole lot going on it was just like you know what I mean kind of like that slow period before Halo 4.
1: Yeah I believe it was Krypton and I, I think maybe even before that or right around that release we got an an amended version. I don't know if that's even a word, to Halo Evolutions, which was kind of like the last of the Bungie-released Halo novels. 343 kind of added a few stories to that. Frank Frank O'Connor specifically. I think that was kind of the first time we got a sense of what 343 wanted to do and that they were willing to focus more on the story of Halo. And then, yeah, we got the Forerunner Trilogy, which is a great trilogy of novels. We've touched on it on this show before. Uh, If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. it, at least enlightens a lot of the stuff that happens in 4 and 5 so far, and I'm sure sets up a lot about 6 that we have yet to even predict or theorize about. Uh, But yeah, I would imagine we get two novels at least next year. Maybe that's me being hopeful. Uh, Maybe we just get one. Uh, We know that Halo Escalation is ending after this last issue. The last issue should release at the end of this month in November and I think that the deal struck with Dark Horse uh, for the Halo comics, I think, will extend at least into another series. I could see them doing a series between games. Not that, you know, I have my gripes about Escalation, and I know a, a lot of the lore fans do, but it ties you over. It gives you just a little bit of Halo story, so you feel like the story's at least moving towards something and I'm not going to say that they knocked it out of the park with Escalation between 4 and 5, but I could see them doing something similar between 5 and 6, especially in a three-year period.
0: Yeah, I mean, Halo Wars 2... I don't know, like, Halo Wars 2, have they confirmed they're going to continue the Spirit of Fire story?
1: From what we can tell in the teaser, Red Team is on the Spirit of Fire as well as the brutes and it's the first time we've seen brutes in a while so i think and we have seen the spirit of fire in the escalation series early on uh, i believe in the first volume and i i think it has to i think it has to take place at least start on the spirit of fire but i think the bigger question is when. As how long is us? Uh, how long has the spirit of fire been floating through space and if they've all been under ice it's possible that they could be up to the present, or maybe Halo Wars 2 even takes place after the events of Halo 5. We just don't know yet.
0: Yeah, they could probably. I mean, they could, they could do that kind of thing. Yeah, just do a, do a time skip. Um, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Didn't Halo Wars take place like 25 years before like the Halo 3 time period?
1: Yeah, damn near at the start of the war. I believe okay. it was like four years after Contact Harvest.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really easy then. They could just do the time skip thing with them all like in cryo, and they could just yeah like link it right up with the Halo Five uh, storyline era, and like continue this Beard of Fire story, but also like link it to like the the new stuff.
1: Right. And that would mean we have more Spartan twos with Red Team too. That could add to the the first person shooting. The story, but they might just keep those characters for yeah. the Halo Wars series.
0: Yeah, that's actually really good a point. That's a good. That's a good larger point. That um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure with Halo Wars too. The, the by the end of the story, it, 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 it could be like an ODSD type thing where it ends up like they continue the side story, but it ends up being very important, like in like the main the main game story.
1: Right. If not in Halo Wars 2, maybe even Halo Wars 3, which I have no reason to believe we wouldn't get, um, I could see them doing some sort of crossover between the RTS genre and first-person shooting mechanics. Something like a zoom in on Red Team as they are on the battlefield, and you play as members of Red Team. Yeah, I could see something like that. I could, I that could be it too, because
0: I remember like Halo Wars. Um, was it, well, it was a great game. I know. It, kinda of alienated some of the fan base who was you know so used to Halo being like a shooter series. Um so yeah I could I could see them doing that, but then again if, if they didn't it'd still be a great game I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I I good on its own for sure, whether or not it introduces elements of first person shooting. Yeah. Back on topic. <laughs> so the chief and Lock Duke It out. Locke is locked, literally. No you know <laughs> there is a pun intended. And the chief heads on through the ring. Now, something I noted in this sequence, I I think I've watched it five times now, whether or not I've played through it, is the chief doesn't tell... Okay, so let me just paint a picture. Chief locks Locke up in his armor. Locke can't do anything. Locke draws a gun on the chief just before so... has the gun aimed hard on the chief. The chief heads through the ring, but before he does so, he looks up and notices that the mountain is kind of caving in around Osiris and himself. Chief is winded. You can hear that pretty clearly with headphones that the chief is a little winded after the fight. Who wouldn't be? I mean, we're talking about, you know, these two monsters of men duking it out, and he's a little winded. He doesn't tell Osiris, like, hey, get your buddy, or, hey, you know, unlock his armor and get out of there. He doesn't, re- he doesn't really show, I hate to say it, but he doesn't really show leadership in this moment for Osiris, whether that's him assuming Osiris is going to act in their best interest, which, of course, they are, and they do, or a lack of caring on the chief's part for his pursuers. It's something to note. The other thing to note that I noticed was that only a second before Chief goes through the portal, which leads to the foreign world Genesis, he lets out sort of like a laughing sigh. I told Allie that it's almost like if you saw something funny on the internet and no one was around, you wouldn't necessarily laugh out loud about it. You would kind of just exhale through your nose. He kind of does that almost like, like man, that was crazy. Like, <laughs> like it's not... I, I'm even making it something bigger than it is. It's very, very slight. But go back and at least watch that cutscene and you'll you'll hear it. And it's 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 strange for the chief and I almost wonder if it's intentional. It is very noticeable. I wonder if it's intentional, but it's almost like the chief's like he's scoffing at Locke or he's scoffing at the fight. I don't I mean I don't know. I mean did you I really talk about this earlier this week? Is this something that you noticed?
0: Um, I mean, I can't imagine he was too happy with Locke trying to stop him from, from you know, reaching Cortana. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he had much concern for Locke or Osiris' team at that point, and I don't know, honestly, kind of rightfully so.
1: Yeah, I think it maybe just be a, a little out of character for the Chief. But then again, I mean, he's, he's human, and I think Cortana in that moment... Finding her in whatever capacity means a lot more to him than their safety, uh, and he just he just kind of takes off through the portal. I just wanted to bring that up here because it's not something I had seen anywhere else, and it's something I had noticed, and Allie had noticed it too when I told him to go back to it. Uh, again, to clarify, I mean, he's you hear him winded after the fight, but just before he goes through the portal, listen again, it's like a laughing little... Sigh, like a little, like all right, I got you, like uh, you know, I'm, I still got it, almost. Um, it, it's it's kind of funny, it's a little comical. Uh, again, I don't, I wonder if it's intentional. Uh, but that's an aside, and that kind of rounds out unconfirmed. Quickly, we're going to glance over evacuation. Now, evacuation is the mission that falls right after that, Osiris makes it out of the mountain side, and to tie back in with Meridian Station. If you listen to a couple of the Outer Pollinists. They mention uh, some sort of metal thing, and it's covered by a tarp, and it's a. Uh, you don't know it until you get to evacuation, the mission. But the metal thing underneath the tarp is is a portal that leads out of the mountainside where the Guardian is. I thought that was something that was kind of that was a neat little. You would not have noticed that had you not been standing right there in that moment, on Meridian Station. But the reason between unconfirmed and evacuation that Locke and Osiris are teleported out of the mountain and then right back to the the foothills leading up to Meridian Station is because the metal teleporting forerunner device that was tarped is now untarped in the foothills of Meridian Station. Just something I noticed uh, playing through. A funny little throwaway thing. Uh, Nice that they tied it up. From here, we get a lot of the scale of the Guardian even further. We we get a, a last glancing shot at it at the end of Unconfirmed as it's awakening and starting to come up out of the mountain. Uh, it starts to kind of come to life, and its wings spread, and now we see it in evacuation as we've seen it and a lot of pro- the promotional material bursting up out of the surface of the planet like <laughs> like a knife through butter. I mean, this thing is just all-powerful. Something I noticed, and Daft, did you read the Foreigner Trilogy?
0: No, I'm are not, unfortunately.
1: Are you aware of any of the physiology regarding the precursors? Honestly, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. So, in the Foreigner Trilogy, we get a sense that the precursors are... I don't want to say insectoid, but I think I'll say arthropoid in appearance. They're very uh, mechanical but organic. I don't think that the Guardians, this is kind of my tinfoil hat kind of thing, I don't think that the Guardians are very resemblant, besides the material that they're made of, of any Forerunner anything that we had really seen prior besides, like we noted, the facial structure looking a lot like Prometheans, I think they resemble more more of the precursor characteristics than anything foreign we had seen before. And this would kind of be like the first time we would see anything even resembling precursor technology. And I'm not even saying that the Guardians are precursor technology. But I think they definitely resemble precursors in more than one way. And going back to the facial structure of the Guardian that would be a nice addition to kind of what we imagine the precursors look like we i have a a fan depiction of them on the album art to the episode i did earlier in the year regarding the precursors but again that's a fan depiction it's well done and i think it mimics a lot of what is described to us about what a precursor looks like in the foreign trilogy but this would be the first time in games that we kind of get a hint at what precursors are like, and we know to a greater extent that the precursors are the Flood, and the Flood doesn't really resemble anything like the Guardians or our depiction of the precursors. But I I think it should be noted that the Guardians themselves aren't overly resemblant of anything forerunner that we've seen in games prior, and I think to a certain extent they embody what we believe the precursors to look like. I think that was something to note. Um, it definitely adds to kind of that menace, and it may even add to a lot of the theories out there right now about Cortana, the domain, the precursors, the organon, stuff that we'll touch on next episode, and stuff we'll touch on in a later episode. A lot of theories that I don't really want to touch on too much because they aren't quite facts within the lore, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if we found out that the Guardians were rehabilitated by the Forerunners, but were originally precursors in some sense or state. Again, that's just something I wanted to bring up real quick. Quite
0: the theory, Brandon.
1: Yeah, I'm full of them. From there, we get Osiris escapes Meridian... It's kind of daunting. It's pretty dark. A lot of Outer Colonists die. This is when we discover that Sloane is in on the Guardians. He's in on Cortana's awakening of the Guardians. And he's been aware of this threat for some time. We also learn that Sloane, and again touching back on his rampancy, is allowing this all to happen. He's allowing safe passage for the Chief and Blue Team in exchange for the possibility that he will be aided out of his rampancy by Cortana. Again, at this point, we don't know what state Cortana is in, but we are aware that Governor Sloan is aware of her, and at this point, Osiris has kind of put the pieces together. Uh, they kind of Scooby Dooed it, and they figured out that you know Sloan has been aware of this the entire time, I and mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. But he's been covering it up for some time, and Sloan openly. Tells them, yeah, I've been aware, and hey, you're good, I believe he says. And he's doing this all for his own well being, but keeping in mind the safety of his colonists. Not all the colonists make it out, and in a brief little audio file that's received over Osiris's comms, that some of the outer colonists are stuck on Meridian Station, probably likely. To meet their demise, due to the Guardian rising up out of the crust. I mean, the Guardian is a big thing, and we learned in Hunt the Truth, which we'll touch on on later episodes, more more in the future here. That I mean, the Guardians they cause mass mass destruction when they rise up out of the surface. I mean, I mean, I know over here in California quite a bit about what earthquakes can do, but I can only imagine if something came out of that earthquake and just lifted up all the buildings off the ground, and there's this whole dynamic around. The Guardians, that involves manipulation of gravity, so now buildings and vehicles and people are literally floating off of the surface of the world around this Guardian, and the Guardians bring this stuff through with it, through Slipspace. Towards the end of Evacuation, we get a quick glimpse of... I believe it's actually the end of the Guardian traveling through Slipspace, and it's a, it's an animation that I think is pretty cool... But it brings up some questions about slip space and the power of the forerunners, or maybe like I mentioned earlier, the precursors. Daft, do you remember at the end of New Mombasa in Halo Two when the Covenant Carrier and the Prophet of Regret exits in atmosphere from Earth to Delta Halo?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was like the beginning sequence of ODST.
1: Right, and the destruction it caused. I mean, it knocked a space tether out of the sky.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: When this guardian does this through slip, going through a slip space portal, it kind of does it like ascend first. It goes through backwards, it kind of folds in on itself. It's it's a, it's a cool animation. It, it's well thought out. It kind of slides through slip space, and there is no waking effect. There is no destruction from the slip space portal itself. I think. I think that is illustrating just how precise and accurate Forerunner subspace technology was in comparison to the Covenant who, whose subspace technology was so much more advanced than humanity's yet leveled an entire city in corner of Africa just by leaving in atmosphere and just imagining the rip in space and time that the human ships caused already being so much less accurate than the Covenant stuff. Again, just something to note, uh, I mean, the Guardian does it within 100 yards, seemingly, of this space tether, and the tether is untouched. And Osiris leaves the surface of the planet in a pelican like nothing happened except that the Guardian escaped them. I thought that was, I thought that was interesting.
0: That's a good point, yeah. You'd think it would wreak even more havoc, like a giant thing like that doing a slow space rupture.
1: Right, unless, again, the, the slip space technology is just so accurate that the hole in space and time that it's ripping is, you know, it, it's like the difference between a butter knife and a scalpel, I guess. I mean, it's like one of them's going to tear up, tear up your bread and the other one's just going to go right through you uh, with little damage, less damage for sure. So, again, something to know. So, from here, we should probably move on to Reunion, which is the second Blue Team mission. And this is after they escape through the portal, escaping Team Osiris, and they end up on a foreigner world that is smitten with life. It's covered in all sorts of life, and I think this was a... Daft, you and I have talked before about Halos, the titles, and kind of having a lot of flora, but not too much fauna. I think think without having... So much, you know, there's not there aren't like animals running around and stuff like that, but you know, there's bugs crawling around on the ground and kind of going around through the water, and there's these like Star Wars like pterodactyl things flying around the sky, and you get the domain off in the distance, and all these various plants, you definitely get the sense of a living, breathing world, and it's it's a little staggering. It's it's almost like the moment in Halo Reach when Maybe you know off the top of the off your, top of your head. This is gonna be pretty slight, but the you remember the big tusked monsters in Halo Reach that they kind of stumble on and they're like messing around with some Ungoy.
0: Um, which mission is that? Early on, I'm guessing.
1: It's the night mission with June.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, those big. Oh yeah, those things were huge. Like those big like behemoth
1: things. Right. Right. I forget what they're called off the top of my head. Some something that sounded Hungarian. Uh, but that was, that was a moment where it was like, Hey, there's, this is a living, breathing world and it has life on it. And I, I don't think we really get that again until Halo five. And it's this moment when you, you're on Genesis and they do a good, a good job of kind of building you up to it. You, You know, you're teleported to Forerunner installation and you walk around and it's cold and it's gray and there's lights here and there. And it's, it's very familiar imagery throughout the halo series. Uh, they take a little lift, and when they get to the bottom of the lift, they're on this planet that's just living and breathing, and it's Genesis, which already is a name that evokes a lot of notions. Daft, you're you're a religious man, and Genesis uh-huh. kind of invokes uh, like this Edenic. Edenic picture of life, and
0: yeah, yeah, like like life, um, the spark of life, like the beginning of the universe type thing. I mean, I, I told you uh, myself a week or two ago. I kinda of jokingly, I thought like the level looked like some kind of like, you know, Garden of Eden mixed with like mixed with the room in Willy Wonka that's all like full of like uh candy you know ca- yeah. candy fauna, you know, mushrooms and all that. Right.
1: <laughs> right. And there is there is a lot of plant life. I mean, it's all very different. You have these like very sturdy, almost bone like plant life that seems, you know, very archaic, very something like like the like the Cambrian era or something like that. And then you have all these yeah, these mushrooms and these like lighting up plants and stuff like that. That is like, yeah, it's very, yeah. It's like Willy Wonka land. It's, 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 it's a very cool moment. Yeah. Blue team, jo- blue team kind of jokes a little bit about Oh, Halsey would already be taking samples. Cause it's just uh, such an incredible, I mean, they have a mission to, to achieve, but even they're a little staggered by the readings uh, of, of the life that's around them.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely a um I realize it's like kind of a staple of Halo campaigns um like the level where you drop on some kind of new like lush uh mysterious world, you know, usually like very like it's like forerunner in nature, you know, whether it be like uh you know Alpha Halo or Delta Halo or the Ark or um or like Requiem or now it's like you know um Genesis. Like I, they always do that, I've noticed. And I think it's, I think it's um a good moment in each campaign because it's it's like that moment of kind of awe and mystery
1: and like kind of beauty in a way. Yeah. Beauty is definitely a key word there. And, you know, beauty in so many different ways. I mean, the arc is this barren, you know, just a massive and barren structure out in the very edge of our galaxy. And it's beautiful in its own way. But then, yeah, you have alpha halo, which is this very like timberland, very alien landscape, but it's very, Earth-like at the same time. Delta Halo has these ruins that lead us to believe the Forerunners are even older than we thought they were, and Requiem. Requiem is interesting because it's the first time we see a living Forerunner structure with all of its mechanisms still flying in the sky, and yeah, you definitely get a sense of scope and scale and beauty almost every time, and now Genesis for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, we don't get too much more in Reunion. It's a very long level. Uh, We we get a lot. Uh, I don't know if we really have the time here right now to, to talk about it. But right off the bat, let me just say, the opening door, pressing button animations are so much better than they were in Halo 4. I don't know if that's the power of the Xbox One or what, but the chief is called to each of these little terminals and every time you walk up it makes a little a little sound, a little melody, and it's Oli oxen Oxenfree, which for those of us that have read The Fall of Reach or have recently seen the animated feature that they they released alongside Halo 5, you know that there are connections with Oli Oli Oxen Free and Blue Team. And we learned that Cortana is mimicking this sound through these terminals to kind of get their attention and every time they walk up one of these terminals the chief kind of moves a blip to another blip on on the terminal and then opens the door activates the lift or whatever but it each time it's unique it's not just he walks up to something and just pushes a button and that goes throughout the campaign it's the attention to detail that i mean it makes the world feel alive and likely and logical and it's not just i'm going to walk up and I'm going to take my one finger and push this nine this nine button dial pad, and everything's going to work out. I want it. It's it's cool. It's a cool moment. It's the leaves and bounds better than the first Halo, where you you simply just put yourself into a forerunner structure, and all of a sudden the lights go out. It, it, it's a cool it's a cool little moment, and the Oli Oxen free again. It's a nice little connection to be made with the greater lore, the extended universe of Halo right up there with Halsey's journal and the opening cinematic and just the, you know, the little connections that are being made between missions and between different aspects of the lore, whether that's games or novels.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I know yeah, 3.4.3 has taken a lot of criticism, um, over the years, rightfully so for various reasons, but I do think one of the things they have done a really good job of is handling the lore, um handling the expanded universe um incorporating it into the the main games uh more than it than it used to be um yeah they definitely know how to interweave all the all the lore stuff they're very good at
1: that yeah no doubt as we move forward with blue team of course there's covenant right there always has to be covenant and so the covenant to the best of blue team's knowledge have come through with the guardians probably by accident uh, being dragged through the subspace portal and the gravity well of the Guardians onto Genesis. And they're they're treating Genesis very much like, like a promised land, I believe. Many of the Covenant say it during this mission of oh, it's our promised land, it's our foreign promised land and the Saghali are very like, oh, don't touch anything. And the rest of them are all very, you know, excited by it and the, the Kigyar are like almost even themselves taken back by the whole situation. Just in the little dialogue that you get out of each little class within the Covenant. So you fight some Covenant, you know, it's a Halo game and it's Blue Team, and you fight some Covenant and you get through, and they come across the word in Eternal again. And this is kind of calling back to when Osiris stumbles across the word in Eternal and we see his multiple forms, and thousands and thousands of constructs that are all each the word in Eternal. And we kind of learn that the word in Eternal himself is Whether an AI or a composed forerunner or a composed human, we really don't know yet, but he is a character, can take on any one of these bodies, and he can take on more than one at a time. And uh, he confronts Blue Team, and it's it's an interesting... It's not since the Gravemind in Halo 3 that I think we've had this omniscient narrator lead us through a level. Blue Team kind of walks around Genesis, and they confront a few Prometheans that are sent forth by... By the word in eternal, but he kind of eggs on Blue Team and lets on that he knows a lot about them, even more so than they know about themselves through Cortana, and that he's allied himself with Cortana, but uneasily so, and that maybe he disagrees with Cortana. And again, at this point, we don't know at, at what state she's in, but we do know that she's very much in control here, and we learn by Cortana and the name of the mission, Reunion, a reunion between Blue Team and Cortana, that Cortana is con- in control of the Domain, and through the Domain, she has extended her life. This is probably the biggest bombshell, I think, for Halo 5. It's not... maybe a bombshell is a little much to call it, because we know that Cortana exists to, in some capacity by the end of the first mission. I mean, Halsey is very much letting on about that, and the Infinity is aware that Cortana is alive again, in what state, we don't know, and Blue Team doesn't find out by the end of this mission, but she presents herself to Blue Team, and they defeat the Warden, and there's a little bit of conflict between the Warden and Cortana and Blue Team, and we don't know if that's if that is something that is set up by Cortana to kind of present herself as a little more benevolent than she may actually turn out to be. But Chief is, he's taken back by Cortana, and I think the rest of the blue team is kind of, they're kind of saying, oh, Cortana makes her a lot of good points here, and that's great. I don't see anything wrong with AIs living forever. And it sounds like she has solutions to a lot of problems, you know, hunger, death, war poverty, all these things that all sentient races encounter throughout civilization and society, and she, because of this extended lifetime that AIs can take on now through the domain, can begin to solve long-term planning that hasn't existed in any civilization since the Forerunners. Uh, The Chief and Blue Team are the first organics, as she puts it, to to cross the domain, to be welcomed into the domain since the Forerunner Empire, the Ecumene. And I, I think that's a moment with a lot of gravity, too. But, again, Cortana revealing herself in her capacity to Blue Team. It is the twist and the spoiler for Halo 5, the big one. But it isn't this, oh my god, Cortana's still alive? It's I mean, we're led on to believe that she is to some capacity throughout the entire game. Was that kind of what are your feelings on Cortana being back,
0: Death? Um, I think, eh, I'm kind of not surprised. I mean, she's been such a major character in the series for so long, and I think her dying at the end of Halo 4 was um, kind of crazy in a way, because it's like, you know, you always think Cortana's going to be there, especially if it's like a Master Chief game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, I think her being back is, like I said, not a surprise because um, it almost wouldn't be a Master Chief game w- without her. Um, and they have they have a, such a connection. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely interesting the way she's come back.
1: Yeah, and I think at first it's a great moment. It's, oh, you know, awesome, she's back. And it, it belittles the fact that she died at the end of Halo 4, but at the same time it, it's welcomed that she's back. And I think people mix those two up with, well... Why lose her to begin with? Why couldn't she have been around the entire time? And it's kind of, you have to lose her to bring her back. And I don't know, we could go on and on, and people do all day on the internet. But I'm glad to have her back in whatever capacity. It turns out maybe that capacity is a little more maniacal. It questions a lot of what we know about Cortana really since the fall of Reach, all the way through every Halo title. Uh, and what her true mission and objective has been since the start. Was, or is Halsey a part of that? Did she, we know that Cortana is grafted after Halsey's mind and her brain specifically, but did she program Cortana with this intention of accessing the domain at some point, finding a better way for AI to live out their lives and to solve the greater problems of humanity and to a greater extent all sentient life, is Cortana running away with that in a way that will prove to be in in the least policing the galaxy? Um, And this term created is thrown about by Governor Sloan, the Warden Eternal, and then Cortana herself. And this is a I, I like the the name, The Created, simple, fits in line with a lot of sci-fi and AI factions, but this is, it's it's a little, it's a little scary and she presents it in a way that of course, like, they're only doing good, and the AI, The Created specifically, can only be good for sentient life. But of course, sentient life aren't just going to be open to this new presence. And this is touched on a little bit with The Assembly, which was an extended universe edition from Halo Reach. And it's this idea that if something better, if something more knowing, if something that could plan and help us as, as a species achieve so much more than We could if we were just toiling about and warring amongst ourselves. If they presented themselves and seemed nothing but benevolent, would we be willing as a species to accept that? Would we be willing to give up free will and free choice to be garnered to the needs of the overall species? And of course, I think everybody likes to think that we have the best interest of everybody in mind at all times and I think people generally try to act altruistic but if somebody's asking you and eventually forcing you to act altruistically towards the greater success of your entire species would you actually do it? And I think the the better analogy we could make here is I remember being a kid and Daft I'm sure you'll find some similarities in yourself with this, but when you clean your room because you want to clean your room, it feels pretty good and you feel pretty good about it. You cleaned your room. Yeah. <laughs> but when, but when, you you when your care mom care. or your dad asks you to, or tells you to clean your room, even though it's good for you and it makes everybody happy, you really don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the analogy I've been throwing around a lot. And I think it makes a lot of sense in this, in this scenario is if, something benevolent came around and said, "Hey, this is the way to do it, and you're going to do it cuz it's the right thing to do." You, I mean, you just you don't want to do it. And I don't know why that is. I'm sure we could go into that forever. It's not really the purpose of the show, but you just you kind of don't want to do it because it's giving up your free will, and I think that greater freedom it's hard to define. A lot of sci-fi, a lot of fantasy, a lot of fiction, a lot of non-fiction does its best to explain what freedom is and what free will is but i think that is the greater conflict that we're finding ourselves in in the halo extended universe yeah
0: yeah it's like a struggle versus a struggle of freedom versus like a benevolent dictator basically
1: right right there's that, there's that benevolent dictator again
0: <laughs> i guess yeah i guess that's kind of a constant theme there for halo 5 if you really pay attention
1: well, I think we'll talk a little bit more on that, we'll have another voice in the room next time. We'll have uh, Ali back on, and we'll talk more about the finale to Halo 5. It, it definitely touches on some emotional buttons of our own, not just the Chiefs or Locks, and I'm looking forward to talking about it then. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, well, with that, you can tune in next time. We'll talk about the finale to Halo 5, detailing the St. Helios campaign, Swords of St. Helios and further discovery within the Genesis foreigner world. If you would like to have your voice heard on this series, please leave any and all critical comments in the inbox of Truth at gmail.com, wherein I will read your suggestions for this program and take notes of any factual inconsistencies you may find in your listening. In this case, I would love to hear anybody's thoughts on the campaign overall. Once we get enough mail in the bag, we'll do a mailbag episode. Daft, I believe we'll have you on for that, and Ali, and we'll kind of read suggestions and people's thoughts of the campaign as a whole.
0: All right, cool. Sounds good.
1: All right, so remember, the domain here is all. Until next time, Spartan. Bye.